The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen, church. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn back to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. Man, what wonderful singing this morning while our children are still being dismissed. You know, church, um, great singing this morning. It was wonderful. You know, uh, sometimes a little bit envious because uh, when we get to heaven one day, I'll be out of a job. And you, you do realize that, right? That when we get to heaven, Jesus is the Word of God. And there's no greater uh, expositional preacher in all the world than the living Word Himself. Amen? Amen. I'll be glad to be out of a job in that day. Maybe some of my hair will grow a little more. But uh, I think Jamie will get to continue. Right? I, maybe, maybe the archangels will allow Jamie to help lead worship sometime in heaven. I, wonderful, wonderful music. And um, this, uh, this partial sermon here won't even cost you an extra dollar or a nickel. But uh, in that, you should really use these songs as prayers in your life. So if you're living a busy life, you say, man, I'm, I just don't have a lot of time to pray. You have a lot of time to sing. Sing as you work. Sing as you play. Sing as you work in uh, your home. Sing in your car. And uh, one of the songs that we sang today, um, do, you, do you see that one song? Um, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. Uh, and so, you know, that's the Apostles' Creed. Now, certainly a bunch of Baptists like yourselves might not know that, but that is an ancient creed of the you know, Christian church whereby we affirm the basic doctrines of Scripture. And uh, the Apostles' Creed is, is wonderful. And I just want to say maybe to our parents, um, if you're uh, thinking, well, how can you teach your children? Well, one of them, one of the things you can do is read the Scripture with your children. Another thing you can do is teach them early on through song uh, uh, time-tested creeds that speak of the truths of the Word of God. And uh, sometimes with a, a good friend of mine, we do an early morning Bible study. And after we've read the Bible together, I sing to him the uh, Apostles' Creed. And uh, he falls asleep because my voice is no good. But... I just want to say, I learned to do that. Teach children. Uh, that's why part of the reason why we invest so much here in the lives of our children in this church. Because uh, there will come a day when uh, all people, if uh, Christ doesn't come again, they'll go from being children uh, to where I was yesterday, uh, hospice care. And if you teach children to love Jesus and to believe in God our Father and Christ the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. They'll come to the darkest roads of life and still believe in the God who is good and the Christ who died for sinners. Amen? And it is enough to carry them over uh, the great crossroads of death into the eternal arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. So learn those things early on. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. Let's bow for a word of prayer. And as I pray openly for us as a congregation, would you just pray silently in your heart that God would help you to understand the Scripture and to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Our Father, we do love You. We do confess that creed, for we believe that it is right that our God is three in one and that Your Holy Son came into the world to live and to die and to be raised again to pay for the penalty for all of the sins of the people in this room who would believe in Jesus Christ. And we believe that the Holy Spirit 
must apply and convict and change the lives of those that are here today if we ever want eternal life. So I pray now that as we open Your holy, inerrant, infallible, inspired, and Lord, what we might mean by all of those large words is simply that the book that is in front of us on our laps is nothing less than the very breath of God. So I pray that we would look at it that way. We would hold it that way. And we would pay attention that way. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today I want to kind of break the text apart for you, those of you that are keeping notes, into three sections. So chapter 3, verse 1 through 11 deals with the sovereignty of God over time and place and events. Verse 12 down through verse number 15 deals with our appropriate response to God's sovereignty. And then verse 16 through verse number 22 deals a little bit with God's sovereignty and injustice and evil in the world and the fact that God is still sovereign over all and one day there will be complete justice for the righteous and for the unrighteous. So back in uh, chapter 3, verse number 1, let me read down through these verses. I'll make a couple of notes first of all. You will notice that uh, verse 1 through 11 looks mo- in most of your Bibles should be in a format of a poem. And if you were to back up to chapter number 1, you would find that the first 11 verses also appear to be in a poetic format. And that's not by accident in your Bible. That is intended to show you a bracketed area, an entire section that is speaking mainly about the sovereignty of God over all of the issues of life. And then secondly, right before we read these, I don't want you to get tripped up. Sometimes when people start reading this passage, they're looking for some sort of historical key to understanding this. And although history and uh, historical understanding is helpful, what I want you to understand is that the author is not trying to give you all of the history behind each of the things that are said here. This is what's called a merism. M-E-R-I-S-M. Please Google that on another day, not while the pastor is preaching. All right? It just simply means everything in between. So in the beginning, the Bible says in Genesis chapter number 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's a merism. He not only created the heavens and the earth. He created everything in between. The Bible says in the New Testament that one day every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. It's not meant for you to look for what's under the earth. It's just simply saying from as high as you can possibly think to as low as you can possibly think and everything in between, God is sovereign over all of that. Amen? And so with that being said, and kind of that understanding, and a little bit of contextuality there in your mind, let's read these verses. Pay close, close attention to verse number 1 and verse number 11 that close this little section. And here's the first thought for today. God is in sovereign control over every event of life. Alright? There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. You see the merism there. Uh, the, the extremes here. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep 
and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to shun from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up the lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, and a time to sow together, a time to be silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. What profit is there? to the worker from that in which he toils. I have seen the task which God has given to the sons or the people of men with which to occupy themselves. Notice verse 11. Powerful verse in all of the Scripture. Listen to it. He has made everything appropriate. Or some translations, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet so that man will not find out all of the works which God has done from the beginning even to the end. Now when you read that passage of Scripture, you might be like me, and maybe you're thinking about a little bit of classic rock, the birds, and you're thinking about this song that's written. The only problem with that is, that doesn't have it. They, they took that out of context. This passage isn't saying that there's a time for your life to be born and to die and to heal and to kill and all of these things. It's not, it's not meant for you. What it's supposed to uh, give across to you is this, is that God is the one who sets all of these things in boundary. Now, many of you know me here. We get into this discussion sometimes about human freedom and our responsibility and the fact that God says that every human being has the responsibility and the onus is upon all of us to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. I, I full well believe that. But in this text, we want to make sure that we do justice to this text today. And what this text gives us is that God is the initiator of all things. He is in control. He is the one pushing the agenda. He is the one that determines when you're born and when you die. He's the one that determines when things are planted and when they take root. He is the one that determines all of the in-between. I just want to say to us today, in this room, some of us sometimes are so worried about time. We micromanage every bit of our time. We all have our planners. We all have our phones. We all have our calendars. And we micromanage time and we try and, we try and squeeze everything that we can out of time. But what I want you to understand is you must remember in all of the way that you keep time, remember that God is the one that is in control. Amen? Haven't we stopped in our life keeping time by way of God's way, seasons. Mumford said in his work, he said in the 14th century with the invention of the clock, we went from, uh, we went from understanding God's way of keeping time through the seasons and we went to being time keepers down to the minutes and down to the seconds. And then we became time savers. And now, wouldn't you say that the majority of people in this room and the majority of people in the world, they are time servers. There's never enough time. You're always looking for more time. We say that time is money. But what I want us to walk away here from the day is understanding that time is in the hand of the Almighty God. And that should be a big pill of humility to everybody today. If you wake up tomorrow morning and your eyes open and you draw breath into your lungs and there is reason in your mind, you ought to give glory to God and praise Him and honor Him. 
As Pascal, a great uh, historian and theologian would say, most people spend so much of their mind's activity either in the past or into the future. That which has gone by that you cannot replace and that which has not yet come which you cannot even worry about and we never pay attention to where we really are the here and now. Are you enjoying and living and breathing and thanking God for what is going on in your life even this very day? Whether it is joy or whether it is suffering. Whether it is good or whether it is bad. Or are you constantly reliving the glory days? Or thinking about days to come? God is the one who is in control of time. God is the one who is sovereign. Let me walk down through a few of these just to kind of give you a little bit of help. It says, a time to give birth and a time to die and a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. You see there, God is in control of life in all realms, in human life, in plant life, in animal life. The whole globe is birthed and dies and raises again based upon the control of the Almighty God of heaven. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. Can I say that that is true, that God is in control of that. And we spend so much of our lives trying to get away from weeping and into laughter. But I want to say to us, nobody enjoys those weeping moments, but I would say stop running from the weeping that is in your life and give glory to God in the very moment of your weeping and seek to draw near to Him. If you are in a stage of life where weeping seems to be the daily activity and things are hard and you're hurting, I think what you should do is rather than run a million miles from it, you should run to the cross of Calvary and see the tears of Jesus dying for the sins of the world and seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul said? It has been granted to me not only to be saved by Him, but to suffer with Him. Dear child, I want you to understand that the suffering and the pain and the agony that comes into your life is subject because we are in a lost world, but it is not useless for God is working even in our suffering to make us like Jesus. There's a time for weeping. There's a time for laughter. Have you ever experienced both of those on the same day? Many of you have. God is in control of what is going on in your life. Let go of you controlling it all and receive the fact that what is going on, God is there. Does not mean for a moment, I need to do some teaching here, does not mean that God is the author of evil. No. What it does mean is that God created a world in which free human beings could make choices that would both glorify Him and cause suffering into the world. Do you understand that humanity is the only realm of nature that can deny a God? Why does Jesus say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because all of heaven does what God wants it to do. But He has given us the space in our human hearts to either accept Him and glorify Him or deny Him and cause pain. And you may be here today and the pain that you have in your heart, you didn't cause, but it was put on you. I still want to say to you, receive where you are. Stop running from it. Let go. Come to Christ and say, this hurts. This is painful. I don't understand all of this, but you are in control. Teach me. 
Help me, even in my pain. A time to mourn and a time to dance. I guess maybe there's a Baptist version of the Bible somewhere that takes out the word dance. I'm not sure. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. Well, maybe I should give you a little history lesson here. This doesn't mean that there's a time for us to like wing stones at people, okay? It's not what it's saying here. Uh, and I'm not going to say that me and my brother ever threw eggs at cars when we were teenagers, because I would never tell you that. But, you know, this is not what that's talking about. What it's saying here is that when you conquer an enemy, a lot of times in this day, they would take stones with them, the enemy, and they would spread stones across all of the fields to keep uh, plant life from uh, springing up. So it was a time to do that, time to conquer land, time to take over, and there's a time not to do that. And then look what it says here, a time to embrace and a time to shun from embracing. Right? I would say in church life, we need to spend more time embracing each other and loving each other. But I do want you to know this. Your pastor, I, I very, very rarely, in fact, I can't even remember the last time I've called a heretic's name from the pulpit. But from time to time, there are people on your television who call themselves ministers. You need to refrain from embracing them and what they say. Yes. Part of the responsibility of a shepherd is to protect you from false doctrine and from heresy. And so there are times in our life where we do need to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart. It's talking about in the Old Testament, the Jews would tear apart their clothes when they were weeping and crying, especially over a lost loved one. They would just rent their clothes and pull it across. Look, there's a time to do that and there's a time to sew them back together and move on a little bit of life. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Look at verse number 11 and we'll move on. But remember this point. God is in sovereign control of all that is going on in your life. He has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. In context, what does that mean? That means that all of that list that you just read, each extreme... He is made beautiful in its appropriate time. Now, are you going to fight Him on that? Or are you going to let Him have His way in your life? There are some of us in this room that God has been trying to teach us lessons for years and we keep reliving the same lesson because we are unwilling to let God have His perfect work in our hearts. And aren't you thankful that God doesn't just give you one test and when you fail, leave you alone? Aren't you glad that every day you wake up, you get another opportunity to live in God's great kingdom and His great universe and have an opportunity to be conformed to His Son, Jesus Christ? All things are beautiful in God's time. And then look what it says here. He has also set eternity in their hearts. I don't have time today to expound on that greatly. I simply want you to know that uh, Richard Dawkins is 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 wrong. You you are yes you are much more than simple DNA dancing to the beat of nothing and then you die. You are created in God's image. You are body, soul, and spirit. You are both material and immaterial. 
there is something incredibly special about you. You may be in this room today and say, Steve, you don't, you don't know what I did this last week. You don't know where I've been and the things that have been done to me and what I've said and all of this. I feel worthless. I want you to understand no matter how much you have sinned, you are gloriously special and valuable in the eyes of the living God because you're a human being created in His image. Yes. Just receive that today. Don't find your identity and your beauty and your grace from anything else in the world other than God and Christ. That He loves you for who you are. And He has set that eternity in your heart so that there would not be a satisfaction with anything that is not from the eternal God. Yet, so that man will not find out all of the works which God has done from the beginning even to the end. So, first 11 verses, God is in control of all things that are going on in all of the world and in your life today. Maybe today just more less less sermonic and more just friendship. Would you let that set in on your life for a moment? If you're anything like me, you, you, you involuntarily, just on automatic pilot, wake up every day trying to live and make it happen. Some of you, you're, man, you, you, you're, you're that, you've been built that way. You've been living decades that way. I've got to provide. I've got to make it. We've got to have a home. We've got to pay the bills. We've got to do everything. And in some extent, that's a good thing that there's a drive and a work ethic inside of you. But what I want you to understand is that you don't have to bear the load of the world. God does. You don't have to be so overly concerned with what every other human being in the world thinks of you or what you are or what you're not. You have to be concerned with Him. And He bears all of the burden. That's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Walk with Jesus. And breathe today. And tell yourself in your mind the truth of Scripture. God, You are in control. Now, rather than giving you five points of application on that, I'm going to let your mind run wild the rest of the day. What, what would be different this week in your life if you woke up every day and you just breathed deeply and said, the Bible teaches me that you are in control. And so the way that I live and the way that I think and the way that I speak and the things that I do, I am going to live in the light that you are in control. What would be different about your life this next week than was this past week? I have a feeling that some people in this room who suffer greatly from anxiety, which is very much a real issue, I'm not saying it would be completely fixed. I, I know better than that. But I would say it would be a good start in the right direction. Be not anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And you can run that out in your own life. What would be different if you woke up every day and you understood in your heart that God was in control? Number two, uh, here's how we respond 
to God's sovereign control over all things. Look at 12 through 15 and I'll just kind of say a few things here. Verse number 12, I know that there is nothing better for them, right, than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. It is the gift of God. And I know that everything that God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it. And there is nothing to take away from it. For God has so worked that men should fear Him. That which has been already and that which will be has already been for God seeks what has passed by. Simply put this way, when we want to think about how it is that we respond to God's work in the world, first of all, by God's work, we understand that God's work is eternal kind of work, that God's work lacks nothing, and that when God works in our lives, it is for great significance. Let me say that to you again. When God works, it is an eternal kind of work. It is not passing by. It is not merely done. God's or our work may pass by. Our work may be done away with. Our work may be forgotten one day. But when God works on our behalf, it is eternal and it lacks nothing and it has great significance in our lives and in the lives of the people around the world. And so what is the response to looking at the great sovereign work and power of God? I would say one of those is is to rejoice. Can you all smile at me this morning, please? Just like this. Come on, give me a cheesy smile. Yeah. Yes. Some of you will be sore this afternoon because you're using muscles you haven't used in decades. <laughs> hey, I'm not one of those weird people that thinks you just, oh man, you know, if somebody just died, terrible thing, I just lost my job, but I'm super happy. That's fake. That's garbage. But for heaven's sake, God's people ought to have a regular routine of joy. If God is truly in control of all things and He is working all things on our behalf and He is a good and a wonderful and a gracious Lord, then you ought to be able to rest and relax and rejoice that God's got this. And even in our pain and even if in our suffering, God is teaching and shaping and molding so that I look different and I come out the other side of my trials and I'm, I'm better off because of it. Rejoice. Find joy. You ever talk to somebody who is an eternal Eeyore? Have you ever found somebody in your life that you wish that the words, how are you doing, did not come across your lips that morning? Of course. I say to us, look, we all have bad days. We all have bad weeks. Maybe you have a bad year every once in a while. But if you're a believer, one of the responses to God's sovereignty is rejoicing and thankfulness. Here's a quick one, and I'll just move. Also in that 12 to 15, not only rejoicing and thankfulness for what God is doing, hey, did you see what it said there? God is redeeming our labor. Rejoice in what God is doing in your labor. I, I talk with some people sometime and they mean well as Christians. They say, I do, I, I have a secular job, but all I do is use that secular job so I can get the money and serve Jesus. I want to say to you, I understand the sentiment and, and I love you and you're on the right track, except for you're not on the right track. 
It doesn't matter to God whether you are a garbage man or a banker or a teacher or whatever it is that you do. Your work matters. Your work is glorious. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God is redeeming your work life. And you may not like it. You may not like your boss. But when you wake up tomorrow and you go to work, I'm not saying you got to skip through the dale singing songs, although that'd be good. But you ought to go and you ought to give 110%. You ought to give everything you have. And as you work, you ought to work to the glory of God. I'm going to give everything I have because what I'm doing here matters. I say, oh man, I'm just, I'm just, man, I wish I knew some like tech terms. We have people in the church that do tech. I don't know, platforms, ethernet, internet. No, okay, David Lee's telling me to stop while I'm ahead. Listen, <laughs> whatever you build, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. Hey, if you've been demoted to parade detail, you know what that is? Scooping up the stuff behind the horses in the parade. If that's your job, you go to work tomorrow and do it to the glory of God. And He'll be pleased. And He'll change your heart. And God wants you to understand that what you do matters. And it matters when you do it for Him. Amen? Then lastly, I would say here on that part, not only do we rejoice and be thankful, not only do we see God at work in all of our work and give Him glory, but we fear Him. Did you see that? That men may, and that's a generic term, men, women, boy, and girls, that we may fear Him. Now, I want you to be careful today. Don't look down on the Scripture's teaching about fear God, reverence Him, honor Him, give respect to the God of heaven. The command of God for you to fear Him is because He loves you. And if you give your fear or respect or honor to anything less than God, it will destroy you. The reason why God commands you to fear Him is because He is the only one worth fearing. And He is the only one whose holy nature is to do good in all the world and in your life. The safest place you will ever be is in a God-fearing heart. Put Him first. Honor Him. Live your life for Him. Not out of some sort of divine thunderbolt that's up there ready to come down and hit you if you mess up. No, out of the kind of fear and respect and honor as when you walk into the presence of the One who created all of the galaxies and all of the world and is sustaining life now and who loves you so much that He took His firstborn Son and sent Him into the world to die on the cross to take your sins into His life and to be raised again so that you could have eternal life and forgiveness of all of your shame and all of your sin. Jesus died for you. That's the kind of God that you should fear. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are you fearing God in your life? What is the response to God's sovereignty? Joy? Work that matters? 
and a Christ-honoring, Christ-fearing life. Let me finish with these last few verses we'll be done for today. I intentionally left myself just a few minutes to deal with these verses because it's very hard. I'm just messing with you. Verse 16 through 22. Very serious, sober words from a man who has really had a rough life. Watch it now. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness, and in the place of righteousness there is wickedness. I'm wondering if that man that wrote this lives in the year 2017. It's pretty up to date, isn't it? I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time for every matter and for every deed is there. I said to myself concerning the sons of men, God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. Hmm. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other indeed. They all have the same breath and there is no advantage for man over the beast for all is vanity, all is futile, all is vexation. All goes to the same place. All came from the dust and all returned to the dust. Who knows that the breath of the man ascends upward and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth. I have seen that nothing is better than that man should be happy in his activities, for that is his lot. For who will bring him to see what will occur after him? Hey, if you're visiting with us today, maybe you're an unbeliever or you're a critic, or maybe you've been here, but you're kind of cut out a little bit with church and oh, some of the kind of fake stuff that happens. Now, I want to say to all of us today, that's a pretty sobering passage of Scripture, isn't it? That's where we live. There's a lot of injustice in the world. In the place that there should be justice, there's injustice. When, when, when you've got people who are making billions and billions and billions of dollars of salary and you live in a country where people should be able to get a decent meal and a decent job and there's such a vast gap between that, something's wrong. I'm not a socialist. I'm not a communist. I'm not saying that the government ought to take away from everybody. I'm just saying in the heart of individuals, if I'm making $45 billion a year and I see a man or a woman on the street who has nothing, something's wrong. And if your first mentality is to say, well, they probably got them there, they probably got themselves there that way on purpose. Who cares if they're dying? It's the compassion. I'm just saying we got to be careful of the injustice in place of justice and the unrighteousness in place where there should be righteousness. I think the next verse lends us some power here in verse 17 that God ultimately one day will bring justice and righteousness and judgment into the world and He will ascend what is right and good in the Lord Jesus Christ and He will put down all of the pain and all of the injustice in the world. Christ eventually will make all things right. I think we have to rest our caps on that today. What about this, uh, what about this stuff here in the uh, last few verses that talks about, well, what about human beings and beasts? Uh, they're all the same. Well, I think this guy is a bit jaded when he writes this, but can I remind you of this? You should do a, you should do a Bible study sometime and read what God has to say about people who deny Him and deny His Son. Of course, you're always created in the image of God. You are different than beasts. But you know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1? The Bible says that they are brute beasts. That you're beasts. 
See, the mentality here is those who go away from God and live apart from the image that God created you with, you're in essence saying, I don't want to be different than the animal world. I don't want to be different. And the only thing that matters is the survival of the fittest. And the difference between beasts and humanity is when we put our trust in God and we realize that we were created differently and we come to the Lord Jesus and lay our lives down and we pick up our cross and we follow Him. Let me end by saying this. We do not live life by explanations. We live life by promises. It's not wrong to ask for an explanation. It's not wrong to look up to the holy God of heaven and say, why? I don't understand. As long as you do that with a heart that's humble and submissive, and as long as you do that remembering that you are a finite human being and that God's ways are not always our ways and God's explanations are not always our explanations, and if you live your whole life always seeking after an explanation, you're going to find that there's a hurtful end, a hurtful destination at the end of that. But God did reveal enough of His character in Scripture. God did send His Son into the world to die for us. God has given us the miracle of His Word, the miracle of resurrection, the miracle of the church, of the bride of Christ, those who love Him and will care for you and help you. God has given us a revelation of His character and He has given us enough promises to last us through this lifetime. And so I would say to you today, here is the sermon in the nutshell. God is sovereignly in control of all things. So in your everyday life, seek to rejoice in Him. Seek to be thankful to Him. Seek to live a Christ-honoring life. And when you come across things that are difficult to explain, when you come across pain and injustice where there should be justice, Seek to make it right. But remember in your heart that you are living about the promise of God. That although you may not be able to explain why that car wreck happened, and why that person was taken early, and why that one has cancer, and why this is happening, what you can live by is that our God has revealed to us His goodness and His Son, and He has said, I will make all things right. And that is enough to make it. Amen? Bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment. And in just a minute, we're going to stand and sing a little uh, song together. But um, maybe right there while you're praying, just sitting in your seat, if you're here today, maybe, maybe you're listening to this for the first time and you keep hearing me talk about Jesus, God's Son who died and rose again. He wants to save you. <laughs> he wants to make you His child. You say, what do I have to do to, to, to have that in my life? right where you are in your own heart, just go to God and say, I am tired of trying all of these other things. I need Jesus. I recognize that I'm failing, that I'm sinning, that, I, that, that, that I'm not right. Something's wrong. And I need you to make it right.
And I believe that your son died and rose again for me. He'll save you. Maybe for the rest of us in here, this is only, this is only one sermon, it's only one passage in the Bible. We want to make sure that we're always using the whole counsel of God, but I think that we have to use the Scripture in its context for this day. And we need to remember that we are not the ones that sit on the throne. We are not the ones. And if you spend your life trying to manipulate time and events, you're going to come up hurting. Maybe it would be good today for all of us believers in this room take a deep breath and say, Lord, I really do believe that the Bible teaches that You're in control. And I feel like there are some areas in my life that are out of control. But I'm going to turn that over to You. And I'm going to keep trusting and believing in the promise that You're good, that You love me, and that You will provide. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.